We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 92. Our guest today is a longtime hunter-jumper rider, trainer, and a large R-rated judge. He has also served on numerous boards and committees like U.S. Equestrian, USHJA, American Hunter-Jumper Foundation, and the McClay Equitation Committee. He is a big wealth of knowledge whether he is teaching a clinic or judging or offering his commentary at a big event. So I'm so excited to have him on the podcast today. Let's welcome our guest, Jeff Teal. would love to hear how you first got into the equestrian world. So what did that look like for you when you got started? Well, if you go all the way back to the beginning, about 200 years ago, <laughs> I grew up in a small town, Geneseo, New York, which is very upstate New York. And of course, we're always in and around the environment. And I was drawn into it right from the beginning and started riding when I was eight years old. Wow. Grew up fox hunting, never went to a horse show until I was 16. So I had a late start with showing, which is one of the reasons I think that I had longevity. And just slowly and gradually clawed my way through and up and around. And here I am. Amazing. So yeah, you didn't start showing until you were 16. Did it feel like you were behind the curve that you needed to catch up? What was that like for you when you were 16? You know, it was a different time then. It wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't a big factor for me. I just enjoyed riding and being around horses and teaching and fox hunting was such an amazing, great background. And I also was lucky enough to have had top-notch teachers in the fox hunting end of it, Gordon Wright being one example. Mm -hmm. So although I wasn't competing, I did have the best of the best as teachers right from that. Uh, outset, which was great. Awesome. So then at what point growing up, did you think, you know what, I think I want this horse thing to be part of my life for the rest of my life. I want it to be my professional career. At what point did that kind of hit the forefront of your mind? You know, I'd have to say right around the 16-year-old age when I started showing and becoming more involved. And it was, I had amazing parents and grew up in a small town. So uh, my father was an attorney. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, and they could—they handled it so beautifully because they allowed me to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certain guidelines, I had to do uh, at least one year at college just to understand what I was choosing not to do. Mm-hmm. I ended up pushing them. I did my senior year in one semester, and then I did one semester at college, and then I had my first real job offer. So they relented at that point they knew there was no way around it i was going to be a professional horse person so it just got sort it. of be quickly and strongly got it okay so then at what point did you start your own training program i worked for the jacobs family for 10 years so i started there in 74 and went until 1984 as their private trainer At that point, and this is a little known fact anymore, but at that point, Missy Clark and I were in business together and started North Run. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we did that for a couple of years and then included Kip Rosenthal as well. And it just got where the business was almost too big. So we all sort of very nicely went off on our own in different directions. 
from there. Yeah, I love that. And so as you were growing your program, how did that kind of change as far as location or horse shows or, you know, how are you making it your own uh, versus when you were doing stuff over at North Run? Well, North Run at that point was in East Aurora, New York, and there really wasn't enough business there for two people. Hmm. So I the New York area and I stayed there with Kip for a little while with Missy and then ended up sort of breaking off. So I started my own business down in uh, Darien, Connecticut. Stayed there probably five or six years. And then I was very lucky. I made the move to Wellington. I moved here in 98. And it was a funny time here. There had been a lot of people that have, were trying to put together businesses in Wellington full time. And it's hard to imagine at this point. But back then, there was not enough business here. And they were sort of folding up and moving on. And I have a couple of clients that were moving down here anyway. So I was able to move in. So I was ahead of the curve on all that strictly by luck oh, yeah. since 1998. And it was the best thing I ever did was moving here. I love it. Wow. That's amazing. Cause I mean, now if you try to go property or, you know, start a business, it's, it would be really difficult to do it was, it was so easy to get housing for staff and yeah. barns and whatnot. I actually started my business right at the showgrounds at West. Wow. So, Amazing. So when you're not in Wellington, where can we find you? You know what? I'm almost always in Wellington now. I do travel and do, I do travel and do uh, judging, but I essentially live in Wellington full time, which is okay. great. Yeah, that is nice. So tell me a little bit about how you first got into judging. How long have you been judging and how, how do you find that being helpful for your program as a trainer and as a rider with the aspect of judging? So I started, I have been judging, they give out little pins, five-year markers. So I've been judging 35 years, I think. It, I have to say, from everything that I've done in the horse business, I think I've learned the most from judging from anything else. Wow. And the reason for that is because you really are set back and you get a whole new perspective on how the sport works. And it's, it helps you to pick better horses. It helps you to train better and less, which I think is critical. Mm-hmm. It gives you a much better perspective on being a good exhibitor and just understanding why it is we all do this, which is the love of the horse. Definitely. What are some of your favorite classes to judge? My favorite, I have to say, is always the medal finals. I've been lucky enough yeah. to do that with two, three great partners. The reason that's my favorite is because you, when you do that class, you actually get to do the course as well. So you have, by the time you get there and sit down, you have a very clear idea in your mind of exactly what you'd want to see and how you expect things to unfold. So it's really, it's a very pressure oriented, but it's such a rush and such a great energizing feeling to do that class. Definitely. I know that you have had lots of riders go through finals and and lots of big championships at Devon and Capital Challenge. When you were growing up, obviously you had a later start in showing. Were those some aspirations and some shows that you attended yourself or was, were you experiencing those for the first time at, at a trainer and judge standpoint? I was lucky enough to do the medal and the McClay finals. Those were in, in existence back then. The USET finals did not exist. I was mm-hmm. there with the first one of those. Capital Challenge for sure didn't exist. I was part of the group of four that created that horse show. So that okay. so I, I did enough. It's interesting, I think, when you watch the, the really top trainers, with the exception maybe of 
uh, station, Andre. Anyway, a lot of us wanted to win the finals as kids and mm-hmm. didn't I think that sort of created our passion for teaching finals winners. I think yeah. that those the definite correlation there, which is interesting. Totally. Absolutely. It, it seems like we're getting closer and closer and, and finals comes up a lot faster than than sometimes we we plan for, and especially with the weirdness of everything going on this year. What are some things that you do to help get your riders ready for finals at the end of the year? You know, I think it's interesting. The this pandemic has really reminded myself, for sure, and I'm sure a lot of other people, how important it is to take a break from showing, slow down and really work on the basics and get your skill level as high as you possibly can. So Mm -hmm. the short answer to that is I do my whole system, which I stole from George Morris and Gordon Wright. I didn't invent it, but so you, you decide what it is you might see at one of those finals and then you create exercises that give your riders the skills to be able to handle that. So it's not just showing and it's not just jumping courses. It's, creating the exercises and doing the homework and creating the habits that'll carry you through those big events. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. And I find that at home too, and I'm I'm a private trainer for a family and it tends to be, especially with the kids that are showing week in and week out that a lot of times it's the, what's in between the jumps that sometimes needs the most practice for kind of setting apart one course over, over another rider's course and not just, you know, jumping a million jumps and going to a bunch of shows. So I think this kind of forced time at home to really, you know, hone in on your skill sets has been something that I think a lot of us have seen a positive to, you know, despite everything that's been really difficult and challenging for the industry during this time. I think that's definitely a positive takeaway. You know, I have two little girls that ride with me right now in the pony division, but they mm-hmm. have never opportunity to stay at home and do lessons. It's been an exercise in frustration at the horse shows, but now yeah. they are in town and able to ride uh, six days a week and have lessons for those days. And the improvement in their riding over 30 days has been just phenomenal. So it's it's exciting to see that. And that's what we used to do in the old days. We took, right. you know, the way we honed our skills and then we started over again in the summer. Yeah, definitely. I just think over time, and you've probably seen this so much uh, you know, more clearly over the years of you being in the industry, is that the intensity level and the competition has become so tight and so fierce that having people take time off for both, you know, for competitive reasons and for financial reasons, it's really challenging to do. Yes, for sure. So as you have been growing your brand and your training program, you've also come out with some pretty revolutionary pieces for um, other hunter-jumper athletes. And one of those is uh, equestrian coach. So tell me a little bit about this kind of idea of virtual training that I feel like you are also very ahead of the curve on. You know, it was interesting. The idea popped in my head. My brother is a counselor for troubled children. And when this pandemic first hit, he went to, he just happened to mention that he was doing his counseling virtually. And I thought, wow, you could really do that riding with your riding and showing. And what's interesting for me, and then what made me pick up on it is that he was doing it over the phone. And I think that that's what makes what I'm doing a little bit different from all the online uh, Mm -hmm. opportunities. Those are great opportunities. 
But what I like about what I'm doing is the student and myself are, you know, designating a time period and we're watching the same round at the same time, but we're talking about it and having conversation back and forth. Mm -hmm. So it starts from the judge's perspective and then it sort of goes in whatever direction that person would like it to go, whether it's more ideas about what the judge likes or what they can do to improve their riding or a combination of both or particular issues or questions that they have. So it's a, it's a real back and forth conversation, which I find very productive. It's, it, it's, it, it's fun and interesting for both parties. I enjoy it very much. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, you see in so many other sports that having, you know, obviously the physical time of working on the sport, but then there's also that time of just sitting down and having coaching, whether it is with a, a trainer or a coach or, or whatever. But it seems like in the equestrian world, there hasn't been as much of that as far as in your training program or in others that you've seen. Do you find that it is important to have that kind of classroom time? And do you feel like that has benefited a lot of your clients? Yeah. Again, I'm a big believer in reading, first of all. like If you really want to be mm-hmm. successful, you have to study it just like any other sport. And that yeah. starts with reading. Again, when we started, we didn't even have computers. So, <laughs> you know, now that's an addition. But it starts with reading. And we used to always, you know, the we would study our pictures from the horse show for hours because we yeah. didn't have that. I remember the very first horse show, Washington International, that had videotaping of your rounds. It was like a, revel- a revelation. Wow. The tricky thing about video for me, I use it when I want to build a person's confidence. I think the video always looks a little bit better than maybe the real life version did. Not always, but often. So I use video when I have somebody that doesn't think they're doing particularly well and they watch their video and it's always better than they visualize. So I find it very useful for that. For the ones that need their confidence shaken up a little bit, there's nothing like a still photograph. You know, you can sort of select... (laughs) to make your point so all of that anything that you can do to really study and understand every aspect of the sport is going to help you let's take a minute and talk about our wonderful sponsor today equine velocity velocity is the latest innovative product for equine muscle performance and recovery velocity is a gel that has been clinically proven to penetrate deep into the horse's muscles so you know it works Velocity is similar to a liniment-type product, but without the skin-irritant qualities of a liniment, which can be really harsh on some horses. Olympic-level riders like McLean Ward, Shane Sweetnam, and Daniel Blumen have been using Velocity with a lot of success. So go ahead and find out more. You can use my code PODCAST for 10% off your purchase of Velocity on their website. So head over to equinevelocity.com. That's E-Q-U-I-N-E-V-E-L-O-C-I-T-Y.com. Thank you so much, Equine Velocity. All right, let's get back to the episode. Your book, The Riding Hunters, Jumpers, and Equitation, The Developing a Winning Style. Tell me a little bit about that process in creating that book. It was very interesting. You know, they, Trafalgar Square called me and asked me to write a book. I said, no way, I'm not good enough. <laughs> I felt guilty because I've been so lucky to have such great uh, teachers in my lifetime. 
So as a result of that, I went back and said, yes, I would love to do the book. The process was interesting. I had a uh, ghost writer and she had me just type, uh, tape a few writing lessons so she got a sense of my style and then uh, from there she started the book and she would send me a list of questions and it was during the fall when I was going back and forth up and down the coast driving and so I would answer her questions while I was driving on a recording she would then get that into the book wherever she wanted and then send me another list of questions so it was a it was a fun and easy uh, project because of her help on it. Wow. Awesome. And then who, who else was involved in creating the book? Uh, I just did it with, her name was Amy Hendrickson. She was a okay. great, she was, she was a perfect pick. Trafalgar Square Books sent her to me um, because she knew enough about horses to understand what I was talking about, but not quite to the same level so that she knew the right questions to ask. So photographs of the book, that's another story. That's a nightmare. If anybody ever is going to write a book, <laughs> because it makes it, it that's so much more difficult than you would think yeah oh I bet yeah that's that's really cool I mean how did you decide or narrow in on the topics that you wanted to go over in the book what I mean was it when they approached you was it a pretty like general topic or you had free reign as far as what you wanted to specifically touch on Well, they wanted me to write a book on basically, you know, what I felt was important about teaching riding. And that's Ghostwriter was so smart, like over a handful. I think originally I sent her four lessons with kids. And so she picked up right away on the things that were important to me and the exercises that I had to work through them and whatnot. So I think all of us do very much the same thing over time. And she was able to pick up on it and hone in on the things that she felt were important. Definitely. Something that I always get asked, and I'm sure you have been asked this way more, is being in the hunter-jumper world, something that always seems to be riders' issue at one point in time, some certain you know roadblock, is finding the perfect distance. And that, that's you know something that a lot of people might uh, focus on a lot or really stress about or get really anxious about both in the ring and out of the ring, what would be some advice that you would have for someone struggling with finding consistent distances? So for me, it's all about the factors around jumping. There are four factors of jumping to me, pace, line, balance, and distance. Distance being the one that you need to work on the least. So Mm -hmm. it's very simplest a form, which I think is always the most important form. If I have a rider and they jump a jump and they don't like the jump, uh, my question to them is, okay, we both, neither one of us like the jump. What would you change? Would you change your pace? Would you change your line or would you change both? And that's the, those are the three choices. And if you break it down and make it that simple, and especially if you have it with another set of eyes watching, you will get the handle on how to maintain an even pace on a straight line to figure out the distance. And I have what I call the 50% rule. If you stay exactly the same pace and you stay on an absolutely straight line to the jump, you can only meet it a half a stride off if you think about it. Mm -hmm. If you're on a horse that can't make up or cover up for a half a stride, you need a different horse. <laughs> That's a, it's a really good point, though. It's the physics of it. You know, if you really do it. So the, 
the from there, then the next step of that for me is, okay, now that you understand that, now you understand the discipline isn't looking for distance. The difficulty is you have to erase that and you have to, while you're looking at the jump, you have to feel. And if you can keep your pace even and you can keep your line straight, that's the discipline. If you can do those two things, your jump will work out. Yeah, absolutely. And then from a trainer standpoint of the the trainers that are listening, what are some things that they can do to help their riders navigate through that or, or some exercises that they could work on to help get past that mentality of it's all about the distance and it's all about the jump, focusing on that pace and straightness? Right, so I have a, a couple exercises uh, the best exercise for pace for me is to build an absolutely 72 foot right on stride five foot or five stride line and just do that line back and forth until they're doing the line without having to adjust so that's that's teaching you the right pace for on a particular horse for a, a normal course set on the 12 foot stride. So mm-hmm. that's but interestingly I think there's some another very good exercise for the discipline of straight and even is to do a jump on a circle. Just put one jump and on one round circle. And and the one of the anomalies of learning about riding is the best way to learn about straightness is on the circle. Hmm. Because straightness on the circle is not cutting and not bulging. Right. So if you put jump down and you stay absolutely on a circle and you concentrate on staying an even pace, not cutting, not bulging, not cutting, not bulging you will get where the, the the circle itself will start to show you the distance. So those are two great exercises. But the, the one that I love the most <clears throat> is to take a line of jumps and do two things. One, sometimes I just take everything out so that I have a set of standards and then five strides away, I have a set of standards and there's nothing there. And I just get them going. Sometimes I'll even do a whole course of what I call imaginary jumps. Mm-hmm. Without the jump there, now the riders absolutely can concentrate on just keeping uh, pace and line even and straight because you've taken away any need for timing. Mm-hmm. And that's better than even poles on the ground because even with a pole on the ground, the riders are not able to resist the temptation to try and see that distance. Totally. So everything away and let them gallop around the course without any jumps at all and just get comfortable going at the right speed and keeping it even. And that's a great exercise for it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that idea. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? So I'm very passionate about good flat work, but flat work that is based on what it is we do, which is galloping and jumping. So I think flat work for what we do is similar, but a little bit different from dressage. And I'm very interested in flat work and training the horse that is actually based on information that the horse is giving us back or feedback. In other words, if I'm doing something on a horse and my horse is going forward and straight with his ears up and he's happy, and I have somebody on the ground telling me that I'm not doing it right, then I don't listen to that person anymore. I'm going to listen to the horse. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of 
forget about that, you know, and this is the danger in reading and the danger in studying without actually listening to the horse is you may think you're doing everything right, but if you actually listen to the horse, they're telling you that perhaps you're not quite as right as you thought. So I think that's my biggest passion. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point and, and maybe something that doesn't get discussed very often. That's that's definitely true. What would you say for someone listening who has been maybe going through that? They feel like they're doing everything right and it just doesn't seem to be clicking with their horse or their horse isn't responding in the way that they hoped. What are some things that individual could do? It's all about uh, slowing it down, like walk for a minute, really try and understand it from your horse's point of view. Like if it's not going well, <clears throat> something is in conflict with your horse, whether your hands are a little too high or a little too low or you're a little too far back or a little too far forward, or you're not going forward enough or you're going too fast. Something is preventing that horse from giving you what you were after initially. And that's where you really have to listen to the horse and, or get input from somebody who can help you to get through that hurdle. And I find as a trainer, uh, very often, and this is a big part of training for me, I have to ride the horses. I ride most of my horses at least once a week just to keep track, no, my, my students' horses, just to mm-hmm. keep track of what maybe is going on that I can feel that I can't see. And that's always a big revelation. So if you're really struggling with your horse, have your trainer hop on and, and they can give, you know, maybe give them a sense of what's may or may not be happening and why. Definitely. Yeah. I think getting another perspective, especially your trainer's perspective is uh, a super important tool to have. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the extra time and I wish you all the best. Well, I really appreciate you having me and I've had a good time and thank you very much. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.